Well, it's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. That's what Bill Clinton said in the 90s. That was the tagline that led him to win the presidency of the United States. But now, 15 years on, we know better. It's the environment, stupid. It's the environment. Because without an environment, we don't have an economy. We don't have a planet. We don't have a life. It's the environment. So what's it all about? It's not just about climate change. It's about sustainability. And sustainability, of course, is climate change. But it's, it's resource depletion. It's pollution. It's the energy crisis. Climate change. I'm not going to bore or insult you by explaining the greenhouse effect or the effect of carbon dioxide on climate change. You all are fully familiar with that. But let's not forget that there are many people out there who still don't really understand it and worse, don't want to know. Climate change is a key issue. But then pollution is something else which hasn't gone away, as our friends from EnviroWise, I'm sure, will confirm. And then resource depletion. What does that mean? It means that we are using up this planet. We are using up this planet. We only have the one. It means that relatively common materials will run out within 50 years. Things like copper and gold. Less common materials like indium and germanium and hafnium, which are crucial to the electronics that we all rely on. Nobody really knows how much is left of those. Those people who own the mines which create them are very, very quiet about that. But the belief is there's merely decades left. And then there's uranium. That's expected to run out within 40 years. So I think it's the availability of uranium which is going to be the final decider on the future of nuclear power in this world. So that's resource depletion. And then there is the energy crisis. The energy crisis? What energy crisis? Well, domestically in the UK we're going to have an energy crisis because there are severe doubts over the capacity of the electricity generating infrastructure to actually keep up with the demand which we continue, which continues to grow. And then of course there's the oil issue. There's the peak oil issue. If you read the BP Statistical Review of World Energy, it says that North Sea oil, for example, will run out in 50 years, 20 years, 10 years, 6 years. North Sea gas will run out in, it lasts longer than that, North Sea gas will run out in 6.5 years. Oh, and by the way, this is a year old. So, making the business case for effective environmental communication. The business case. The first point I think we should recognize is that business people are people. And they are subject to all the pre prejudices, misunderstandings, and lack of knowledge of anybody else in the street. And what do people say when you talk to them? What do many people say when you talk to them about these issues? They say, well, um, of course the scientists haven't made up their minds yet. Now, this is a myth which is perpetuated by the press for some reason. But if you saw the comment on the United Nations conference last weekend, when they presented their third report this year on climate change, Ban Ki-moon, the General Secretary, said, 
the scientific community is 100% certain that climate change is happening. And by the way, if you watched the Channel 4 documentary, remember that one, The Great Global Warming Hoax, even that documentary admitted that climate change is happening. They simply had a problem with what was causing it. But going back to Ban Ki-moon at, at the United Nations, he said, the scientific community is 90% certain that it is human activity in the creation of greenhouse gases which is causing, or at least making a lot worse, the climate change situation. Really, I don't think it, it matters. If you're sitting at your desk up to your knees in floodwater, it doesn't really matter whether the climate change which has caused the floods is in fact caused by carbon dioxide, sunspots, natural cycles, or indeed the revenge of the flying spaghetti monster. We have a problem. And we have two things to do about it. One is to protect ourselves against the floods, fires and famines. The consequences of climate change, which is already built into the system, and whether we can stop climate change or not, what's already built into the system is going to happen, and we've got to recognise it, and we have got to deal with it. And secondly, the whole idea about reducing our carbon footprints, reducing our, our uh, carbon production, is in order to stop it getting worse. And if you're one of those 10% who believe that it isn't anything to do with carbon dioxide, then I would remind you that carbon dioxide is mainly created by the use of energy, which in turn is mainly, um, which mainly comes from fossil fuels. And if you don't believe in cutting carbon dioxide, cut your fossil fuel use, because, as we've seen, it's running out. And when it's gone, it's gone. So then these people in the street will say, ah, but it's the Chinese. Why should I do anything if the Chinese are building one, or is it two, coal-fired power stations every week? Coal. That's China's main energy resource, and it's pretty filthy stuff as well. Well, in response to that, you can say, the Chinese are only trying to get somewhere, somewhere towards the standards of living that we already enjoy. The Chinese will say there are still th three million people in China who haven't even got electricity yet. So excuse us, we are going to actually expand and bring at least that to them. Secondly, they'll say, why should we cut back on trying to develop our standard of living when you in the West have for years and are continuing to use these vast amounts of energy and resources and you say that you won't do anything to reduce what you're taking? And finally, the Chinese will say, oh, by the way, all these factories here, you know what they're making? They're making things for your Western shops. So whose pollution is this? Is it ours or is it actually yours? And then people will say, yeah, but I'm insignificant. I mean, if I do something, well, it doesn't have any effect, does it? It's only me. Is there anybody here who pays tax? Is there anybody here who pays too much tax? Anybody here who pays enough tax to build a school? Run a hospital? Pay for the army? No. But together, the contributions that we make mean that our government has enough resources to do all that. In fact, it has, a, it has enough left over to buy Northern Rock. The point is that we may all be small and insignificant, but everything that we do is as important as everything everybody else does. And together, we can move mountains. Don't forget that.
when you wonder whether you should do something green. It all helps. It all has a contribution. So hopefully we've got the doubters on the run by now, but they come back with a dreaded WIIFM rule. WIIFM. Yes, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Well, if we talk to the businessman who's saying, well, what's in it for me? I've got a business to run. I've got a bottom line to protect. I've got shareholders. I've got customers. I've got to pay the mortgage. It's all very well. It's all very good. I, I fully support you, but, you know, it's money at the end of the day. Well, I'm not as gung-ho or optimistic, perhaps, as Gordon Brown, that this is a new dawning era of unbridled prosperity for us all. But at the very least, I would say to the businessman, you can reduce your risks. You can reduce your risks. It's about sustainability. It's about surviving in business as well. Reducing your risks. Four areas of risk in business. There's the physical, the regulatory, the competitive and the reputational. The physical risks we've spoken about. The physical risks are fire, flood and famine and all their consequences. And remember, it's not just the fact that your business might be flooded or suffer other consequences of climate change. In these days, we are in a global market. All of us are part of a, an international supply chain. So look at the risks along your supply chain. If your customers are suffering and they can't buy, if your suppliers are suffering and they can't supply, it impinges on your business. Global warming is a global issue. Climate change is a global issue. So first of all, assess the physical risks and protect your business against it. Now the second point is regulatory. The regulations, the legal framework. Any business should be aware that there are going to be more and more regulations mainly based on carbon taxes and things like that. You're aware we've got carbon trading. Carbon trading operates at the moment at a very high level with very large organisations like steelworks and power generators and plastics and glass and all that sort of thing. Now, when David Miliband was Secretary of State for the Environment earlier this year, he said that within five years, they would extend carbon trading to all companies, not just the big ones, but to all companies. And furthermore... He said that carbon trading within five years would be extended to all individuals. Every one of us. Every one of us would have a carbon allowance and presumably a carbon card. And we would have to pay with money and with carbon credits if we wanted to book a flight or buy petrol or pay for electricity or pay for gas. And if we wanted two flights and we hadn't got enough carbon, we would buy the credits from people who had surplus. Now, whether that will happen or not, I don't know, but that's been stated. And talking to Mike Smith, that many of you will know, is Head of Sustainable Development at Yorkshire Forward, he has repeated the same thing to me. He, he is firmly convinced that this is what's going to happen. And there are straws in the wind. This, as you're no doubt aware, is a packet of crisps. Have you recently bought a packet of crisps? Have you noticed the carbon label on the bottom or on the back? What this says, this particular packet of crisps says, working with the Carbon Trust, 75 grams of CO2. Now people say to me, how do they get 75 grams of CO2 in there? Because it says it's only 38 grams. That's not the point. The thing is that what walkers have done is they've looked at the whole production chain. And they've looked at the carbon dioxide which is emitted 
from ploughing the field to planting the potato to fertilising it to harvesting it to transporting it to the farm to washing it to bagging it to taking it to the factory chopping it up frying it putting it into a packet putting it on a lorry and taking it to your supermarket they've looked at every element of that and they've worked out that the total carbon emissions of that is 75 grams they're doing this as they say with the carbon trust and they're working also with DEFRA and with the British Standards Institution to have a standard methodology for counting up the carbon in the production of any product. Now, that was the pilot scheme. It's not just them. Tesco are going to do 30 products to start with. Coca-Cola are going to do two. Cadbury's are going to do a couple. There is a Halifax bank account, apparently, with a carbon label on it. And there are people who are making build building products. What are the implications for business? Well, the implications for business must be that if somebody along your supply chain wants to have a carbon label, they're going to come back to you and say, prove to me what your bit of the supply chain contributes in terms of carbon. So that's the first thing that business people have got to be aware of. We're getting to the stage, perhaps, where we're not only going to have a financial audit, we're going to have a carbon audit. But the other thing that occurs to me is, is this perhaps not just a way of showing the consumer that this might have so much carbon dioxide in its production, whereas something else they buy has so much less and is a better choice, but could this be the basis for carbon taxation? Could we be taxed on the carbon emitted in the production of whatever product? Because to be perfectly honest, if we are actually going to go as far as reducing carbon dioxide emissions by 80% by 2050, we are going to have to have some fairly draconian regulations in order to make it happen. More of that in a moment. So that's the regulatory aspect. We've got the physical, we've got the regulatory, and then we've got the competitive. The competitive aspects are, well, they're very clear at the supermarket level. All supermarkets must sell organic food. All supermarkets must sell free trade goods. No supermarkets must sell GM. And now they must be seen to be green. We must hope that it's more than superficial. We must hope that they are truly committed because they are businesses. They are important businesses. And the key thing about communication through businesses is that businesses can set an example as well as themselves having a significant effect on carbon footprints because a large organisation obviously can do much more than an individual. Competitive. You have to keep up with your competitors, not just the supermarkets. The car industry is claiming to be green. Even the oil industry is claiming to be green. But it's more than that. There's the Sustainable Procurement Initiative in the public sector. The intention is that the public sector shall purchase sustainably, from sustainable sources, wherever possible. So, if you're in an organisation, you may be asked, have you got ISO 14001? Do you comply with the international environmental standard? Or at the very least, have you got an, a statement of environmental policy? These things are going to be demanded in the market. These things are going to be competitive, not competitive advantages, but competitive necessities. And those businesses that lag behind will suffer because they will be excluded from markets which demand these things. And then there's the reputation aspect. The reputation aspect. Apparently graduates are coming to their initial job interviews at large organisations and they're not just saying, well, how much will you pay me? 
Where will I work? What will I have to do? They're saying, how green are you? How green is your organisation? Do you do the sort of things that I think you should? Are you environmentally responsible? So therefore, it's another imperative for business to have a green reputation. It's essential for them in order to attract the people that they want, in order to retain the people that they need. All these things mean that being green is essential for business. Now, you may remember the Stern report, which came out last year. Sir Nicholas Stern, the economist, reported to the government on the economic consequences of climate change. And he said, if we spend 1% of GDP now, then we should be able to tackle it. Now, that's 1% of GDP internationally. But he also said, if we delay, quite apart from the fact that we might actually get into an environmental catastrophe where we cannot re uh, recover the situation, we could be looking at spending 20% 20% of our GDP. And that, of course, is a catastrophic recession. Well, we're a year on from that. We're a year on. And yes, Gordon Brown made a major speech this week, and he has promised a detailed review on the use of plastic bags. But at the same time, this morning, the government is supporting a third runway at Heathrow. Where will they get the fuel from how will they offset the additional CO2? There seems to be limited logic in what the government is proposing. In summary, in summary, it's a key issue for business. Business can set the example. Ladies and gentlemen, this is probably the most important issue in the history of human existence. It's the environment. It's the environment. And that's not stupid.